Hey, so I'm going to be in John chapter 1. If you guys need a Bible, raise your hand. We have some folks that will bring down a Bible to you. You can keep that Bible or just use it this morning. Um, They're pretty fancy. You might want to hang on to it. Just kidding. Just raise your hand and they'll get you one. Um, And the rest of you can flip to John chapter 1. This is our first week in the Being with Jesus series. And we have Being with Jesus books on the table. If you didn't grab one before this week, please grab one. This week we're going to kind of cover... What we studied, if you were in that series with us, in chapters one through five, and next week um, I'll teach on something from chapters six through ten. So if you'll just do five a week, and then we'll have a message at the end of the week that'll kind of round that out, or wrap that up, or be helpful in some way. All right, that's the hope. Hey, at the end, um, before I pray and jump into the message, at the end we're going to share communion together, um, like we have in the past, where we serve each other. Um, I'll give you specific instructions about that then, but just like from a logistic standpoint, we're going to have somebody right here and here and then in the back. So there'll be four stations, whichever one you're closest to, if you'll make your way out and head towards that, um, and we'll just kind of start in the middle and work towards the front and the back. Does that make sense? Okay, I should just get a diagram and just put it up there and You guys should have it. But anyway, I think you get it. You've done it before, um, but look forward to doing that at the end of our service today. Um, Okay, I'm gonna pray, and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we just, um, gosh, I'm grateful to talk about this invitation, this whole idea, the fact that you created the world, you spoke it to be, and you invited us in. Um, Lord, that that's an invitation that we might be in relationship with you. And so we just turn to you right now. We ask that you'd remove every obstacle, that you would take away any distraction, um, that from the youngest to the oldest in the room, that we might hear not from me, but from you today, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our heart and that you would have your way. Lord, that as we focus on your word, and the things that I feel like you've shown me out of it, that you would reveal yourself all the more to us. We invite you into this time to do what only you can. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so there are four thoughts that I have, or four points, um, and one is that God is pursuing us, and the other point is that I want you to notice his way and how he pursues us and how he's gentle and kind. And then based on that, this idea of who do you say that he is, is our third point. And the fourth thing that we're going to talk about this morning um, is how do we respond to that. So those are kind of our four points if you're taking notes or you just want to know where I'm headed. And so that while I'm talking, you can say in the back of your mind, oh, I think he's on the fourth point. I think we're close. So anyway. All right, let's look at, uh, this is the Phillips translation of the New Testament. I found that out of this Being with Jesus book to be really good, and I wanted to share it with you this morning. Phillips was in the well-known in the Church of England in the early 1900s, and he translated the New Testament uh, into practical language at his time for the kids in his youth group. And so I thought that was really cool when I, when I saw that, and I really like how he uh, did the first five verses of John. So we're going to start with the first three verses. They say this. At the beginning, God expressed himself. 
that personal expression, that word was with God and was God, and he existed with God from the beginning. All creation took place through him and none took place without him. So this is one of the great openers in all of the Bible, like of all of the books of the Bible, this is like one of the great ones. And you know it probably is, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But what makes it really great is if you study it in the context, right? There's an audience of two that he's talking to. He's talking to a group of Greeks and he's talking to a group, a group of Jews. And so he's trying to get their attention as he writes this letter. And he uses the word logos in the original translation, which is the word, right? And so for the uh, Greeks, you know, they would sit around and philosophize and they would talk about the perfect world and the perfect order and things that would set things just right. And that idea, that perfect idea that they were all kind of aiming toward and wanting to accomplish was the word, right? Like this perfect word. And so when John says, in the beginning was the word, like he has their attention. They understand what he's talking about. They're talking about perfection. They're talking about this great ideal. And in the same way for the Jewish audience, you know, they referred to God as the word of God. And they wouldn't say his name. They had a symbol for him, a Yahweh, Y-H-W-H is the, how in our language, right? But it's, it was this, um, again, perfectly spoken word, which makes sense if we think about it because if you go back and look at their very first book of their Bible, it, t- it talks about in that first chapter that God said, let there be light, and there was light. Right? That he spoke the word. And so this word, this idea of the word of God is logos. And so when John starts off and he says, in the beginning God expressed himself in this translation or other translations, in the beginning was the word. He has everybody's attention. Everybody knows he's talking about God and he's talking and he's saying that Christ is God and that he, they are one and the same and that he is, you know, and he'll go on to define him further, but he talks about him creating all creation through him, right? And so what does this tell us about God, Okay. One thing it tells us about is, one thing it says to us, it says that Jesus was from the beginning, which says to us something about Christ and it says something to us about God the Father. Because if Jesus came along later, it would signify to us that maybe God wasn't complete when he created the world. Maybe God wasn't perfect. Maybe God had a need. Maybe God wanted something that he didn't have, right? But he's perfect. And he's this perfectly loving father. On the other hand, you look at like Islam and Allah has no begotten, right? Which makes him a different kind of a God than one who was always a loving father and one who always loved his son. And some people that I've read talk about that he is the lover of Christ and Christ is the beloved of the father. And so he's that kind of a father, Right? It also tells us that when we know that Jesus was from the beginning and that he made all things, we see that in Romans 11.36. It says all things were made through him and for him and by him. We see it in John 1 where, it just, where I just read it. It says 
that all creation took place through him, Jesus, and none took place without him. And it also says that in Colossians 1, he made all things, things we can't see and things we can't see, right? I think I meant to say things we can see and things we can't see. So we know that the Bible says Jesus made all that, that God made all things through Christ and that Jesus was the one who made all things. So this is what we know about him. And we look at it and we say, well, what's the purpose of that? Why then if he's in this perfect relationship, which we'll talk about in just one second, but why create the world and why create us? And it's this invitation that we might be in relationship with him, that we might walk with him and talk with him and know him and be known by him and experience what he experiences with his father. Listen, John 17, 20 to 21. This is Jesus before he goes to the cross. He's completed everything the Lord has asked of him to do on earth. And he is now about to do what he said he would do in John chapter 10, be the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He understands He's going to the cross, and this is his prayer. In verse 20 and 21, he says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, meaning these guys that are around me right now, but also for all who ever believe in me through their message, which means that's us, by the way. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, talking about he and the Father, just as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so the world will believe you sent me. Do you hear the invitation? Do you hear that he's inviting us in, that he wants us, you and I, as a church to be one and to be so close that the world knows we belong to him, but not only does he want us to be one and be so close to each other, he wants us to be with him, right? May they be in us is is his prayer. Jim Branch this week said it like this. It's a really good little quote. As much as we long to be with Jesus, He longs to be with us even more. Abby just talked about it in the children's message, right? Why else would he leave the Father's side and the throne room of heaven to come down to earth in the form of a man so that he could be with us and so that he could make a way via the cross for us to be with God? And then he says, isn't that incredible? And I say, isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? that the one who spoke everything to be, who breathed the word and the stars were born, he wants to be with you and me. I want you to listen to the end, not the end of the prayer, but a a few more verses, verses 23 and 24. I want you to listen for what Jesus' heart is for us in these verses. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you've given me to be with me where I am. We see unity and love, you know, just covenant eternal love in there, right? What we don't see We don't see a measure of, hey, if they're good enough and if they get it all right and if they don't mess up and if they hold their mouth just right when they say the prayer and if they use all the right words, that's what's not in there, right? Do we agree? 
Okay, good, got a couple head nods. We have agreement. And so I think that's important. I think it, it's that the purpose is, is that we've been invited in and that he even comes and lays down his life to make the way so that we can be in a relationship with him. So I want you to notice next, it's our second idea today, that his gentleness and kindness. And to do that, I wanna consider light. In John 8, 12, he says, I'm the light of the world, right? And um, here in John 1, in verses four and five, I'm gonna go back to the Phillips translation. It says, in him appeared life, and this life was the light of mankind. The light still shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never put it out. Light and darkness are funny things, right? I'm sure you've heard this before, that light is something, darkness is nothing, right? Darkness is only the absence of light. When I was in college, one of my uh, spring breaks, I went with uh, six other people to to Red River, New Mexico. We went skiing for a ski vacation. They had this little cabin. Um, Four of us, not me, but two, two guys and two girls were couples. One of them wound up getting married. The other one broke up after college. Very sad. And then uh, the other two, single girls and me. And I sort of felt like we're all friends. We're going to have a good time. But when we got there, what happened was uh, we'd go ski during the day, and that was fun. We'd come back to the cabin and fix a meal, and that was fun. And then it's March, right? So I turned on their little TV with the antennas. I got CBS and was watching March Madness. And I'm like, we're having a great time. Like, this is a fun spring break. And I'm enjoying myself. And I got some, as they made a fire, and the two couples coupled off, the two single girls went back to their room and read or whatever they did. And the four lovey-doveys were staring at me, wanting me to leave. And the only option for me was the basement. So I went down to the basement. You know, and, and kids, you need to know, this is before the internet, right? So I can't, like, open up my laptop. The computer I had at the time, I was very fortunate. I had a computer. It was the first Mac. It was about that big and about that wide, and it was p- portable at about 15 pounds, right? And 30 minutes of setup. Um, and all it really was was a word processor. So I didn't bring that, and if I had brought it, it couldn't connect to anything, and I wasn't going to see basketball which was my whole point. So I'm abandoned to the basement. And so dejected, I go to bed and I turn off the lights and then I notice it. There is no light in the basement of this cabin, none. Like, have you ever been in the darkness where if you try to see your hand and you know it's right there but you can't see it? That's how dark it is. So I'm laying in the bed, a little dejected, and thinking of, I gotta have a better plan tomorrow. This is, I'm not gonna wind up here again, and it's a bad deal. And then, and I'm pretty sure I said something snarky on the way to the basement, right? And so I get the sense that somebody all of a sudden is standing over me. And every hair on my body, and then there were more, but every hair on my body is standing straight out, right? I am freaked out. But if it's one of my friends, like, I am not going to say a word. I'm thinking, don't say a word because you'll give them the satisfaction of they scared you. Like, so don't say anything. And then I'm thinking, well, if it's the Red River murderer, I don't know if there was one. But, like, I don't want to say anything anyway. And then I'm thinking, well, he can't see me. 
I can't see him. I just think there's something here, right? And so that, like I would have given anything in that instant for somebody to strike a match or flip on a little bulb. Just the smallest amount of light in that setting would have pierced the darkness, right? Have you been in that kind of a setting before where you're so dark and just a pinprick of light makes all the difference in the world, right? It illuminates it lights up our surroundings. We're able to tell, okay, there's chairs over there. Don't walk into that, right? We're able to all of a sudden kind of navigate where we're going. It is like that's who Christ is. When he comes is light. As he, you know, that's his first words in the Bible, let there be light, right? And this before the sun and the stars and the moon. It's before all that, but it's this, this idea of illumination that all of a sudden we'll be able to see and understand who he is. It offers us, Hope, does it not? Right, like when you're in the darkness and you have no hope, like poor Tom on his rough spring break, right? But no hope whatsoever, but then you have hope. And I want you to notice too about light that like I get up in the morning, usually before the sun comes up, and as I sit where I sit in my house, I can see out the window and I see the light begin to touch the top of the trees and it just begins to gently come down and light everything up, begin to light up the branches, and I can start to see the definition and what's going on. Instead of just being dark or just seeing the stars or the moon outside the window, I can now begin to see like our, my surroundings, right? And that's how light moves. It moves gently and slowly. But at the same time, light travels faster than anything, 186,000 miles per second. Like that's screaming fast. The sun, 93 million miles away from where we are right now right? Light leaves the, surf, the surface of the sun and begins to travel towards us, and it takes eight minutes before it arrives to us. And so on the one hand, light is gentle and soft and slowly lights up our surroundings, right? But on the other hand, it's so persistent and so unstoppable. And that's what I want you to see is this powerful, gentle force and when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, that's what he's talking about. That's who he is. That's how he comes to us. He comes gently. And like we had a really good example of his gentleness this week as we studied him being with Jesus, the account of him turning water into wine. But this would have been a major social faux pas. It would have been a major mistake for this groom. They have these um, wedding celebrations Right? You go to a wedding now and you think it takes a long time. These went on for weeks or a week or something like that. Right? And so <clears throat> they run out of wine. And Jesus has them fill six of these containers that are 20 to 30 gallons. Let's call them 25 gallons. Fair? Good? So 25 gallons, six containers, uh, that's 150 gallons that he turns from water to wine and not just wine, the best wine. Okay, doesn't that say something to us about him? That one, nobody knows but the servants and his disciples. The master of the banquet doesn't know, the groom doesn't know, but he saves the groom and the bride, this brand new couple from embarrassment with their friends and provides for them that the party can go on that this idea of being fellowship and having like, like, he didn't turn it into a 750 milliliter bottle of wine. 
He didn't turn it into three bottles of wine or six so you can get the discount at H-E-B. He didn't turn it into a tub. He turned it into 150 gallons of wine. That, like, I don't, maybe it's just me. That says something to me about the value of what was going on there to Christ, right? That he enabled and he provided for this family to continue to be together and continue to have their time and enjoy one another, right? Like he's providing for them and just didn't make a scene, didn't put himself at the forefront, but just gently came in and took care of them. Like, has he ever done that for you? Has he ever provided for you in that way where you're like, you had to almost look back and say, wait, wait, wait. We were, we were here and we were stuck and then this happened and this happened. And these, like, have you seen him do that? And this is one of the things I loved about this week's study in, in the book was Jim Branch said, hey, you have to keep your eye on Jesus. He's sneaky. Like he's always at work. He's always up to something. Don't you love that about him? that he's at work on our behalf and he's doing things for our benefit. And it's not all about getting it all right and being perfect. It's about life and abundance and joy. Do you see that? This is how you're pursued and this is how I'm pursued and this is how we get pursued by the Heavenly Father in this kind and gentle and gracious way. And so my question is, doesn't that intrigue you? Like, don't you want to know him a little bit more based on how he operates? So we come to this question, which is in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. And I'm gonna read it from the message in just a second, but I think it's the greatest question and the question we all face. He asks Peter, who do you, he says, who do they say I am? And then he gives, and I'll read that in just a second. He says, but who do you say that I am? And that's what we have to answer. We have to look him in the face and answer that question. Let's read this together. <clears throat> and, by the, and for context, at this point in Matthew's gospel, he's fed the 5,000, he's fed the 4,000. You know, he's been questioned by the Jewish leaders and the disciples that he's talking to in this passage have seen it all, right? So he's speaking with a little bit of authority, right? When Jesus arrived in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what are people saying about who the Son of Man is? They replied, some think he is John the baptizer, some say Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He pressed them, and how about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus came back, God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My Father in heaven, God himself, let you in on the secret of who I really am. And now I'm gonna tell you who you are, really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I'll put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. See, they've seen everything. They've seen him change from the moment he changed water into wine they saw that he spoke different. They saw that he acted different. They saw that he responded different. They saw he was able to do things that nobody else could do. And so Peter says, you're the Messiah, right? A lot of people say, you'll hear people say, well, he was a good guy. I don't know if he was God. Well, and you've heard, probably heard people say, well, he was either God or he was crazy. I mean, here it is in scripture. He's 
saying, yes, I'm the Messiah. He's not denying that. He's embracing that identity. And he has expressed himself, first by creation and now in the flesh. He's expressing himself. And he came to reveal his father and talk about the broken perception the Jews had of his father, that he was this harsh taskmaster, that you had to get everything in the law perfectly right. And they even made up laws to add to the laws that were given to them, right? Because they were trying to be perfect. And Jesus is, he's turning that paradigm on, on its head for them. And he's trying to say, this is who I am and who the Father in heaven is, right? And who else would know? John 1, 3, he was with God and he was God, right? And often in his parables, you hear him say, the kingdom's like this, the Father's like this. Like the prodigal son, the father standing on the edge, waiting for the son, looking for the son to come home. This is the pursuit. This is the invitation that we're talking about. And this is who he says he is, which gets back to who do we say he is? And there's one more thing before you can answer that question I want you to think about is I love, this is why I read it in the message. He said, God himself let you in on the secret of who I really am and now I'm gonna tell you who you are. And see, I believe that. I believe that as we get straight who he is, we begin to understand who we are, right? Like we quit chasing that idea of what our identity is and who we are. We begin to get secure in the idea that, hey, I'm not random. I was created for a purpose. I'm loved by an eternal God who sees all things and holds all things together. And he has a design for my life. And he has a way. Psalm 32, 8, I will guide you on the best pathway for your life. Right, like I begin to get, the more I spend time with him, the more I get definition of who I am. To him, first and foremost, because quite frankly, until I figured that out, what else matters? Like that, that's it. It's who I am to him. If I know who I am to him, I can be secure and have something to offer. I like how it says in that passage we looked at today, John 1, 4 and 5, in him is life. Like, friends, that's what we have to offer people. You may think you're offering people something else at your office, and you probably are or at school with your friends, but what you have to offer them, the best thing you have to offer them is the love of Christ that you find for yourself. That's the thing that we can give to people that's above every, every other thing. Right? If we can receive that love from him and we can turn and give that love, like that's it. We, that to me is, I now know who he is and he's helping me figure out who I am. And the more time we spend with him, the more we'll figure that out. Which kind of brings me to this last point. Because in him, I find hope and peace and life, and significance. And, and you're here today, so I have a sense that either you're silently disagreeing with me or you agree. But how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this invitation to be invited in to a relationship? We, can, we look to Jesus in Mark 1, 32 through 39. I'm just gonna paraphrase that and just say that as Jesus heals these people in Mark's gospel, the next, and it's probably up late into the night, 
that he does it. He gets up early the next morning before the sun comes up and he goes out and spends time with his father. So his disciples find him, they come running to him and they say, hey, there's a whole bunch more people here that want to be healed by you. And he has got direction and purpose for today and he knows he's not supposed to go back to that town but he's supposed to go to another town, right? And says, we must go on to other towns as well and I will preach to them too, that is why I've come. So that Christ himself pulls away and spends time with our Heavenly Father to get direction and purpose and ideas about where he's headed. And so that I feel like is one of the first things that we can do to respond to his invitation is to set aside time to be with him. And in this week in the book, I thought it was very significant that Jim Branch said from John 135 to 42, which Abby talked about with the kids, that, that Jim Branch talked about that word of we want to see where you're staying. The word for stay there is the, when, the, when Jesus asked John the Baptist's disciples, hey, what do you want? Like, why are you following me? He said, we want to see where you're staying. That word stay means to abide or remain and to spend time with him. And Jesus' response is, from the quote I read earlier, is that he's delighted and thrilled. He's like, yeah, come and see. Come on, come, come spend time with me. John Eldridge had a really good, like I read a devotional this week, it was really good. I want to just, I think we have it. I'm going to put it up. It says, what has become the normal, this is, I think, let me preface it with this. I'm sorry. What our struggle is, is our busyness, right? The massive influx of stuff that hits our inbox or our phone or just distracts us. Listen to, it says, what has become the normal daily consumption of input is numbing, to, numbing the soul with artificial meaning and purpose. While in fact the soul grows thinner and thinner through neglect, forced by the very madness that passes for a progressive life, we are literally being forced into shallows of our life. He goes on to say in that article that there's a new tower of Babel. And he, that's what he's talking about, like social media and our phones and news cycles Right? He says that we have to make choices. So as we, as if we choose to respond and want to spend time, we understand that we have to make a choice. We have to make a deliberate choice to spend time with the Lord because everything around us is going to press us into a place of not having enough time, of being too busy, and not being able to spend time. Right? And so we have to make a choice. And in some regard, that will make us stand out in culture. And we should be okay with that. We should embrace that. It is always caused, there's always been a price for following Jesus, right? There's, it's for all of time. Our price is quite frankly not high and compared to what some of our brothers and sisters around the world face, but it's sneaky. It's slippery, right? We, we, and it's so easy to sit down at a computer or with a phone and look up and 45 minutes are gone. 45 minutes that you intended to do one thing and you wound up doing something else. It's just me? Anybody else? Yeah, right? I mean, the, the great one for me is we wanna watch a movie as a family on Netflix and 45 minutes later we haven't decided what movie we're gonna watch and nobody wants to watch a movie again so let's just see one old episode of Office and go to bed, right? And so that's the world we live in, and we have to be deliberate. Um, and, the, and from Psalm 37.4, where we're instructed to delight in the Lord, 
F.B. Meyer said, we cannot delight without effort. We must withdraw our eager desires from the things of earth, fastening and fixing them on him. Listen, listen to this. The current of our being must be set towards God. We must cultivate the habit of holy intimacy with him. And when we do, we'll find rest for our souls. Like I like what Eldridge said, this idea that we're being forced into the shallows and that the normal daily consumption is just numbing us. And it just like, I think we have to embrace that. I think we have to think that all this volume of stuff that's headed toward our mind and heart, A, there's not, there's not value in it. There's no eternal value in it, right? And it is keeping us from being able to focus and fix it and set the current of our being on God, right? And it's worth the effort. I wanna say to like everyone in here, if you've got five minutes this week, five minutes a day, give the Lord five minutes. I promise you, I promise you, you will see it turn into 10. If you've got 10, give him 10. I promise you it'll turn to 20. Like this is how the Lord works. This is how he's worked in my heart and in my life. This is how when I look back and say, man, I can't believe he shut that door and he opened this door and he took me over here and he did, right? Like that happened at the table in the morning before the sun comes up. Like, and if we all go to him, like here's another thing, if we all decide tomorrow morning we're gonna spend time with the Lord, it's okay, there's enough of him to go around. It's not gonna run out. He's not gonna give a bunch to you and not so much to you and not as quite as much to you but a bunch more to you. Like it's not, you're gonna get all of him and he's gonna be all there, he's gonna be all present and he's gonna deliver if we just will set the time aside. And that's what this, uh, this book that if you haven't grabbed it, grab it. It's just a vehicle, right? Like it's just a way to get you in front of the Father and to get you to spend time with him. But if you do that by reading Psalms or by reading something else from Scripture, great. Go for it. If I can help you in that, so be it. But this is what I want to say. We are being pursued by a Heavenly Father who loves us in a way that we can't even fully articulate or comprehend or fully understand, but we can experience it according to Ephesians 3.19. And when we do, we're filled with power and the fullness of life. And we begin to understand who we are and why he made us and what his purpose is. And I don't know what's on your calendar this week, but I, I'll, I'll go dollars and donuts with you. It doesn't match meeting with the king of kings. And so I just want to encourage you to get with him because there's nobody that you're gonna meet with this week that won't be better off if you do. Amen? So I'm gonna pray. Our band's gonna come up, and we're gonna lead into communion. And the way we've done this, band, come on up. The way we've done this in the past is we have just served each other. This, the recent past, sorry. If you hadn't been here in a while, this is how we do it now, Okay? And so what'll happen is I'll serve four people. They'll go to the four places in the room and whichever one you're closest to, you make your way to and then you will serve each other. You'll say, this is his body broken for you. Are you listening? This is his body broken for you. 
and they'll t- rip off a piece of the bread and then they'll dip it into the wine. We won't drink after each other here. We're not crazy. And then you dip it in there and you say, this is his blood poured out for you. And then they take it and then that person serves the next person. Good? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now and we just invite you in. Your word says you're here. We fully believe that. We know that about you. We love you back is the best thing I know how to say. Your pursuit of us is incredible. Your desire to be with us is overwhelming. And Lord, we just, I pray that as we take communion and as we serve each other, Lord, that your spirit would just pour through this place. That any void places and any hearts in this room would be filled up with your presence. Lord, that we might be the church. That you might be in us the way that you're in your Father and the way that, you, the way that y'all have relationship, that we would have a relationship. We pray it in Christ's mighty name. Amen.